Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Welcome to episode 65. I am joined with my co-host Nicholas Carl as always. I said Nicholas Carl. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't happen too, too often. Not not many wow. people call me Nicholas. I think uh, I could probably count them on my hand who calls me Nicholas. Yeah, <laughs> well, I just did. So there you go, Nicholas Carl. Um, and we've got, as usual, I say as usual lately, Evan. Whoa, I got to fix your camera, Evan. You're there. You can say hi, but okay. it just looks like you're on like a witness protection program. Yeah, hello from the darkness. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my little friend. <laughs> That's literally exactly what I was just thinking of. All right, cool. I think I just fixed it a lot better there. Okay, good. Uh, it's been a little hectic leading up to the show. We got a lot lined up tonight. Uh, we've got Micah Groth. If you don't know the name, it's because he just went pro. But you probably have seen the name. We'll remind you about it. He's been getting some media laps th- uh, this last week. And we're excited to talk to him. And we also will be having... Simon Lazat joined the studio tonight and some of his friends. And uh, these friends, I think, are newly made friends and newly made friends to me. And they're actually in studio right now. We will be bringing them on soon. Uh, we're going to talk about things that are happening in the offseason. Nick, some big news just dropped. I say big. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. It's really interesting. I feel like we're going to have big news like this for the next two months of every single time right before our podcast literally someone else is going to announce something and whether it's change of sponsorships or just new things that are happening in their disc golf life i think there's going to be a ton ton of cool news happening in the next few months for sure and that means that you have insight or i have insight or we all have these thoughts that something's coming down the pipe and at first i thought this was going to be a boring off season but not, not yet. Not boring yet. All right. Um, let's get right into our first conversation, which is pretty cool. There's not much to, to recap right now. Um, well, I guess I played a tournament, but we'll, we'll save that for later. Um, I, I played a tournament. Oh, good. We all played tournaments. I'm sure you played about yeah. 150 points better than me. Okay. It wasn't rated. Oh, well, then I actually outdid you. Perfect even better exactly all right did you hear i just saw this and it's actually not disc golf news but it's great news the travel ban was lifted for most of europe and britain and a lot of countries around the world to where now as long as you're vaccinated or you can well vaccinated and provide a negative covid test you can fly into the u.s now what does that mean nick for uh what's coming up this next year i mean it's a little late for this season but yeah, I think next year we're going to start seeing a lot more of the players uh, from across the pond, which is super awesome. I mean, I think a ton of them made big names for themselves out in their tournaments and their pro tours that they did out there. And then we'll get to see the likes of Kristen Tatar again and hopefully Evelina and Henna. But then more of Albert, more of Vino, Silver, and all those players hopefully coming over to the U.S. and playing some bigger tournaments here. And then, uh, however the travel restrictions work, hopefully European Open will be something and the Sula Open will be something that a lot of our pros here in the USA are going to be able to go over to. Yeah, it's um, really exciting. I was talking about this on another show that I do, and we are saying how disruptive will it be when the Europeans come over? Which division will be most disrupted? And I don't know. I think uh, if I'm being honest, the, the FPO is going to be out of control. 
So yeah. And then the question, and this was a question my brother brought up. What do you think, Nick? What do you think about this? Will there be a European? And I mean that in the sense of like they traveled over like this next season. Will there be a European that gets into the top 10 um, in disc golf pro tour rankings? Not, not world rankings, but like at the end of the season, will there be a European in the MPO in the top 10? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it really all depends on how many tournaments they're able to stay over here for. I think if Albert or Vino and say they come and play the whole pro tour season that they have lined up next year, I think either one of them could definitely make a push for that top 10 potential. Um, I don't, I don't get to see too, too many tournaments of them. I've played a few rounds with Albert just hanging out. I know he's a great player. Vino, I've actually never met before, but I know he's a 1030 plus rated player. So I definitely think that he is someone who could make that jump. But it, like I said, it all depends on how many tournaments they play. Yeah, but the news that right now the travel restriction or ban is lifted is good news. And it seems to me, well, it seems to me that the tides are changing where the the tour is large enough. I'm trying to get the words out. The tour is large enough that there are a lot of Europeans now. And I'm interested in Simon's opinion. He's sitting in the studio. I'm trying really hard not to ask him the question yet. Um, we're going to bring him in a special moment here. Um, but will it happen this year? Will this be a big year for the European disc golf? In general, they have the Euro tour. They're going to have a lot of big mm-hmm. things happening over there. But I mean, just the sport this next year after this like injection of steroids is, is going to be another level yet again. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. Um, here's another one for you. How much is a 67th ranked world ranked player worth nowadays? And I asked that question because Eric Oakley today announced via his YouTube channel that he is stepping away and breaking ties with dynamic discs. And I'm not going to lie. I thought he was a higher world ranked player than 67. Nick, mm-hmm. do you happen to know offhand what your world ranking is? Uh, like one, are we talking the U disc ones? Yes. I think I'm in like the one forties or something like that. Okay. Yeah. I'm I just, think the, I can't remember. Um, yeah, I, th- I don't know if I ever crested the top 100. I'm not really sure. I looked at it a couple times because I know after I played a few Pro Tour events, um, my name was actually on there. But then if you don't play a certain amount of Pro Tour events, you don't qualify for the world rankings. And so then at the end of the year, I played a couple more. But I think I think I was somewhere in the 140s. Okay. So, and that wasn't so much to compare as to show that, like, there's a large... There's 140, there's 200, whatever it is. He's 67th. He just announced he's breaking ties with dynamic discs. What's a player in his position worth nowadays? Is he going to be able to go somewhere? Is he valuable enough as he is right now that there's going to be a team out there that's like, yes, we want you. Um, and I'm not talking, I'm no offense to Discraft Underground or any of these other like Prodigy Street teams or anything like that. What's the team that's out there for him? Or is he going to try to do something new? Is there a new tide here like Drew Gibson and say, hey, now's my time to, because, and I want your opinion on it. Eric Oakley is brandable. He is. Mm-hmm. Like everybody mm-hmm. knows his name. He didn't play as well as he would hope this year. So I don't think 
where's the value lie? Both in his brand and in his competition. But what do you think? What do you think someone like that's worth? Where should they go? What should they do? Uh, well, I'll definitely say he's he's above any ambassador level team. So when you're talking about the Discraft Underground, Project Street team, and of a Rockstar team, any of those ones, he's definitely above that level when it comes to skill wise and marketability. Um, let's say for uh, public popularity wise on social media platforms he's definitely above what you would put kind of like the kind of players you would put in the ambassador programs he's he's above that mark um i think he's someone who for any company that he's representing whoever it is um he's someone who would be on their more medium team like a tour team um i don't know about champions flight for innova i i don't know how many different teams innova has but i think he, he'd be someone like a middle of the pack sponsored player by i think any big company with dd he was one of the top i would say the top two players that top two or three players that dd had on the mpo side um just unfortunately this year was not able to play up to his standards or up to probably the standards that dd was you know promoting him to be playing at so like i said i think he would be a great middle of the pack player right now um when it comes to like how much is a player worth it's really hard to like put a number if i was to say you know yeah. oh, he's only worth Two grand a month. Or three I'm not a looking month. for really a number because, as much. Yeah. I guess I mean, like, is yeah. he is he worth a full living salary touring player at 67th rank? But you count his brand ability. Mm -hmm. I, I, I guess that's the conversation. Yeah. Is like, should are the tides changing? And I've said that multiple times tonight. Where players are going to start doing what Drew Gibson paving the way is like paved the way for, like. Is that going to become much more popular? And part of me feels like it is because these manufacturers are starting to get flooded with really great players and there's still players who are branded and can play. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, let me just go out there and prove it myself with these like independent, you know, type deals where I don't, I'm not branded to anybody specifically. So. Yeah, I think I think for Eric in his position or any player in the position like Eric's um, going to those pro shop teams, like let's say Infinite Discs, we'll just call them a retailer, a pro shop. They don't yet manufacture their own discs. Innova manufactures the discs that Infinite calls their own. Um, so they don't manufacture their own. So we would say we would call them a pro shop. And so when it comes to all these teams like uh, Team OTB, Team Infinite, where you can throw a mixed bag, you still throw some of their plastic, like infinite players, I'm sure probably have to throw at least one or two of their infinite discs that they've had created by Innova. Um, but let's say OTB or infinite in the sense of it's a pro shop. You can carry a mixed bag. You're not loyal to one specific retailer, or excuse me, manufacturer. So as long as those kind of companies are willing to pony up the cash and give the players what they think they're worth or just enough to, you know, hey, you're able to get on the road with us and we're going to help you out in these different ways. I think going that main, um, that retailer, that pro shop type of mixed bag is not a terrible thing. I, I do think we are going to see more of that throughout the next two to three years. I think we're going to see more players switch maybe to that open bag. And in a sense, it's not the worst thing in the world for manufacturers either, because like you just said, they are getting flooded with so many different players and so many different great players that are getting into our sport now. And then at the same time, you know, when Drew Gibson throws a buzz, everyone knows that that orange disc that he's throwing, the way he throws it, it's a buzz. And so Discraft gets a lot of publicity just from Drew th still throwing that disc, even though he's not sponsored by them. And even though he might not say he's going to call it a buzz anymore, he's just going to call it a mid-range, they're still getting the publicity of him being on coverage, throwing that disc. People know what it is. People learn what it is. And then it turns into Discraft is now probably going to sell a few more buzzes because of that reason. People want to throw a disc that they see Drew Gibson throwing like that. 
So in Eric's position, if he was to go to a mixed bag company and tread waters on that for a year or two, then I don't think that's the worst decision in the world. Like I said, I think there in the next two or three years, more players are going to start doing that. Sure. Uh, Doc Zen, longtime listener, viewer, all the above. Nick and Matt show going to make Eric an offer. Uh, what should we offer? <laughs> um, yeah, the $3 stock just gave us. <laughs> he's, all, he's already doing a, a new show with Bobby Brown, who left Dynamic Discs recently as well. Um, oh, Disc Golf, uh, DG. Oh, okay, sorry, I'm butchering it. Disc Golf Player Management Group. Mm-hmm. Eric signed with them, or signed, joined their team weeks ago, month ago. So like, this has to be part. I have to believe that Scans, who we had on our show, has a hand in this. Um, Scans, hit us up. Is that true? Scans, I bet you his team sat down with Eric and said, what are you making? How do you feel about it? This is what you should do. We're helping you. Because what did Scans say? We're going to help him with every single detail of everything to help them become the best, get the most. Probably happened. All right, we will talk more about DD and some player changes possibly and what this means with Eric leaving, but we have a very special guest in the room, uh, literally in our room here. Let me um, pull it up. Simon, grab a microphone. So Simon, there you go, buddy. You're on camera. Say hi. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Thanks for having me back. Yeah, so there's Simon, everybody, and we brought him in studio because, well, he invited himself and we couldn't say no. That's number one. No, I asked. <laughs> he demanded. Very politely. No, he demanded. Okay, just kidding. I'm just busting Simon. So we brought Simon in, and I brought Simon in now. Um, hold on. I think I'm adjusting the wrong microphone. I brought him in now because we also have a really big virtual guest to come in. And I wanted Simon to be a part of this interview because Simon's been playing the game for a long time. And we've got Micah Groth lined up. Let me go ahead and bring him in here. Micah, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How are you guys? Great. And and congratulations on your big win. Um, We want to talk about it. The National Amateur Disc Golf Tour. Uh, How did you get involved with that? Have you been trying multiple seasons? You just took it down. Tell us all that it means to you. And then we've got some questions for you, including our buddy here, Simon. Yeah, so it was only this year. Uh, last year, I didn't play any any DGT events. This year, I believe I played five or six and qualified from those. And it was pretty much just this year. Um, I got involved with it because my friend Jake Mon in 2019, he played and got on Jomez, and it like really inspired me. I really wanted to do the same thing. So uh, I got on. I got in the air base just because of my friend Jake. Okay, you got into it. And explain how it works. How many events do you play? How many did you play? And then what led to the culmina- culmination of the big victory? Yeah, so I play the first one. You qualify if you take top five. Um, well, depending on the field size. So I think it's like top five or 10% qualify to go to Texas. But I played multiple because of how well the events were ran. It was just a ton of fun. And then uh, just basically competing with a bunch of my friends. and. Uh, basically playing against the best amateurs. Okay. And so tell us now a little bit about your disc golf history. So how did you start? How old are you? And um, what are your ambitions and goals with disc golf? So I've been playing almost four years now. Uh, I just turned 16 two weeks ago. Um, Basically how I got started was 
and we lived in Wisconsin like nine years ago. And for Christmas, my mom bought us a basket that came with a bunch of cheap Frisbees. And we played with the Frisbees. And this was so long ago, we went to Hobby Lobby to make a Pinewood Derby car. And they had discs in there. So we bought a whole bunch of discs just seeing what they would do. And they all went left. So we basically just threw them in the garage and they were never to be seen again. So we just played with the Frisbees, just basically playing catch. And then we moved here to South Carolina. And my uncle, we go to my uncle's every year for Thanksgiving. And he basically just said, bring your Frisbees. There's a Frisbee golf course here in Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I was, at first, I was like, Frisbee golf courses? Like, I didn't know there was such a thing. I thought we just played Frisbee's catch with it. And if you wanted to, throw it into the basket um, to practice your aim throwing to people. But uh, basically, I brought we brought our discs. I had a Star Atlas. That was what I was throwing. And uh, basically, I was just hooked from there. Just a ton of fun. <laughs> just I was just basically hooked just from that. Awesome. So do you... You know, you obviously with your competitive stature now in the sport. So early on, did you start watching kind of like the Jomez? Because I would say four or five years ago is when Jomez really started picking up. Is that how you got into more the competitive aspect of it? Uh, a little bit. I didn't really know there were tournaments. I just, again, just played as a hobby with my dad. Just a fun way to compete with him. Uh, my dad's super athletic and he's good at pretty much everything. And this is basically the only thing I could compete with him in. Uh, without having handicap, being competitive, I hate handicap so much. And uh, basically, that would just crush me uh, in basically every other sport. So I love this one because I can compete with him. And uh, pretty much, I didn't start until like two years ago where I watched my first YouTube video of it. And I was like, yo, there's tournaments. And the first one I ever watched was like 2016 Masters Cup. And that was with like Nate Doss, Paul McBeth, Ricky Wysocki. And uh I was just hooked from there. I didn't know the tournaments. And then I saw there was a local tournament and I played it. And then I like the competitive went to a whole nother level and it was even more fun. Mm -hmm. All right. So we have a really popular guy in studio here. He wanted to ask you some questions. I hope you don't mind, Micah. Here's Simon. What's up, Micah? Um, nice to meet you first off. And yeah. I actually didn't know much about this uh, amateur tour and the event that you won. But uh, I it popped up on my YouTube when Jomez was covering that. I I also saw you on Smashbox la last week, so I actually know like everything about you now. But uh, I was just wondering, like, how, when you were playing in front of the Jomez cameras, and then later saw it on YouTube, like, first of all, how that feel to have like Big Sexy and uh, Yuli there commentating on your game, and if this is something that that experience changed your mind on your future goals in disc golf, or if you even see disc golf as like your future career possibly. Yeah. So it was awesome. Um, I haven't really been filmed by a huge production company. The best I was filmed by was a qualifier event and it was ACE run productions. And I was, and I was super nervous then. Um, but then, uh, basically went there, got filmed by Jomez and surprisingly, I just didn't have much nerves. I was more focused on trying to win the tournament and I had no idea who was going to be commentary. So when I turned it on, I was super excited to see it was Jeremy Colling and Nate Sexton and Paul Uleberry, a whole bunch of players that I look up to. And, uh, I mean, it was just super cool. I wish I could have played better that final round. I kind of squeaked it out. And in the end, um, I was really hoping to pull out like a seven or eight down, but four down, I guess was enough, but. I mean, I think I could learn from it because I got to see my form kind of for like the 
first time like besides my own camera and then like see all the ways I play the game and I feel like it's a learning experience because I can figure out what I need to work on this offseason just by the one video. That's exactly what I use footage for is I love to watch it back and learn from your mistakes. That's really the best way to do it. So you hit us up after we hit you up and you were like, Hey, what can we talk about? And I'm like, man, there's so many things we can talk about, but I am interested. Uh, you talked about installing a course somewhere. Tell us about that. And then also we all want to know, at least this is the conversation of the off season. That's really big. Who are you sponsored by? And do you have any ambitions of who you would like to be sponsored by? So that's a whole bunch to talk about, but we're all here. So give us everything you got. Yeah. So the first course I ever helped install was the one in our backyard. We have about five acres and, uh, me and my dad got to work basically, I think it was three years ago when I, when we basically found out there were tournaments and basically, uh, we, we were pretty bad back then. So we made easy par fours and fives, like things that I could like two now, but, uh, that was a ton of fun. And then at our church, we convinced the uh, elders to help, uh, basically help us build it there in the back. So we built a uh, nine basket, 18 hole course in the back of the church. Wow. Very cool. And, Have you gotten a decent amount of people at the church playing disc golf afterwards or is that? Still yeah, just kind of I got, I, okay. yeah, I got almost all the boys uh, my age hooked on it. So we have a whole bunch of people throwing Frisbees in the back now. So it's a ton of fun. Nick, that sounds a little bit how I like how I got you involved. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's exactly Matt. Matt was one, uh, was one of the youth leaders when I was going to church at the time. And uh, he what pretty much started throwing them in the parking lot, Matt. And then we went to Pyramids <laughs> one day and he gave me this weird, like, dyed disc. And it was not good. It just went left. And I was like, all right, that's no fun. And he's like, now here, try and throw this one. And it was like a lightning disc putter. And uh, that one actually went straight. And I remember when I finally threw a disc like 150 feet straight, I was like, oh, okay, this sport actually is kind of fun. And then learning it from there. But yeah, same thing. The, the disc you know, I gave it, Nick, it from church. it was the tilt before it's time, whatever that was. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> it was probably like an Avenger yeah. SS, but Nick's like, it's hyzer so hard. <laughs> yeah. And now, yeah, now I could fan grip it and it would just go to the right. But anyways, I guess, I mean, one of the biggest things you, you did just win a massive tournament and prize winning for that tournament was 10,000 bucks. Now for a 16 year old kid, I'll tell you this, when I was 16, I did not have $10,000 and I definitely did not make $10,000 playing disc golf in a weekend. So uh, talk to us about that. And then afterwards, we'll kind of go into the tournament and dive into that. Yeah, well, at first it was $10,000 was like, I didn't think about it that much, but as soon as I won, like that moment was amazing. Like uh, it felt like so much money. Um, basically, I found out that taxes kind of suck, but <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, still a lot of money and it was a huge like stepping stone for my career. I really want to be playing this game as my career in the future. And I feel like this was a huge step towards that. Oh man, you just cracked me up. Yes, taxes suck. It's true. You Like at work, I'll get a bonus and I'm like, yeah, baby. And then you're like, what? That's not even a bonus. <laughs> it's like a punishment. Yeah, exactly. Give us more money, Matt. No. Okay. Um, I asked you a question and we got all different topics going on. We're all over the board tonight, but sponsorships. So after you win an event like this, has anybody reached out to you? And this is all, you don't have to say a thing, but we're interested. Anybody reached out to you? Do you have any teams that you'd be interested in trying to join? Um, 
aspirations? Do you want to go down the Drew Gibson route, like, and just be free or like, what do you want to do? What are your plans? Yeah. So currently I've been in the works with Discraft. Um, it's looking very likely that I'll be sponsored by them. We, I don't know all the details yet, like what team I'll be on, but basically it's Discraft right now. Nick, did you have a hand in that? Uh, no, I did not at all. I don't. So I, uh, a lot of people use me as a referral for the underground team because they, you know, watch our show. I'm usually wearing a Discraft underground shirt or a sweatshirt, um, but I don't have any say when it comes to any of the pro teams or anything like that. So, no, I, I got nothing. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> but it seems like you're doing fine without me. So, yeah, it sounds like you win a big event and then you can get on any team you want. Um, all right. Hey, Evan, you got any questions? Simon, you got any questions? We're going to get into stat or fiction in a little bit here, which I know Mike is excited about. I would just love to know if I'll see you on tour next year at any point, if you have any plans on uh, joining any pro tours or which ones you have in mind or like which one would be your dream to go to. Yeah. So with the $10,000 came a free tour pass. So I'll be trying to hit as many as events as I can. Um, really looking forward to like Ledgestone and D-Glow, maybe uh, Jonesboro, Idlewild things like that uh, i think would be awesome if i could get a practice around with you that'd be even cooler <laughs> we're gonna vlog it it's gonna happen oh wow there you go it's as simple as that <laughs> <laughs> you uh, that that mike what does that mean to you like being having the opportunity to possibly like he said it's gonna happen vlog with simon or you're gonna meet other players like what does that mean to you it means a lot um I can't really speak because I'm super excited, but uh, I think it'd be a ton of fun. And again, just trying to get, I want to be doing this as a career. So basically whatever steps it takes to get there, I'd love to do it. Do you have a driver's license? No, I don't. Sadly. <laughs> that's, the, that's the next step. Well, he, yep, he next just, step. He Work just towards turned it. 16. Yeah. You just turned 16. You said two weeks ago, are you, hopefully pursuing your driver's license. I remember when I turned 16, that was the first thing I wanted to do was go get my permit. So then at 16 and a half, I could go get my license. Yeah, I really want to do it. I have a bunch of school. So, I mean, it's kind of getting in the way of that, but I'm definitely trying very hard to get the license. Very cool. Okay. So Matt, what are we doing Saturn fiction? Yeah. In just a second here. Um, are you by chance, do you go to public school, private school, homeschool? What's your situation? I'm currently homeschooled. I've been homeschooled my uh, whole life and I'm really loving it. It gives me opportunities to play disc golf and uh, it's really good for disc golf. Clearly with like Ricky Wysocki and Eagle McMahon, both were homeschooled. So I feel like it, it's a good step to be again, touring. Well, 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 I was going to ask you if you knew that, but you're obviously a student of the game and you're like, look at Ricky, look at Eagle. We're fine. Yeah. And I will raise my hand. I was homeschooled from uh, all the way through preschool, all the way up to high school. So there you go. And now I'm talking disc golf, not playing it though. That's. <laughs> I, don't, I was public schooled, and I'm talking disc golf slash playing disc golf. All right. So I mean, I, I'm the I'm the hybrid person, I guess. <laughs> hybrid. All right. Um, you want to stick around and play Satter Fiction? Yes, sir. All right. Let's go ahead and get into it, and we're gonna let Simon join in on this this segment as well, if you'd like to answer. Yes, please. Okay. Here we go. Stat or Fiction, presented by Stat Mando. <laughs> it's like this like old school vibe, like radio. Like, yeah, nice radio show we got here. Yep, little radio show. So Evan, go ahead and give I got, us. I got a quick, just fun little stat to, to ease our way into this. Uh, Micah, you earn $41.67 per throw 
uh, with your win. Uh, this beats your previous wow. record of zero dollars and zero cents because you're an amateur. <laughs> yep. I thought that was funny. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Sad. He says, I thought that was funny. Uh... Okay. All right. So did you say you're living in South Carolina right now, Micah, or you're from South Carolina? I know you got... uh, both. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So uh, in the state of, Cal- uh, state of California, oh my goodness, it is a Monday. <laughs> in the state of heaven. South Carolina. Uh, Paul Macbeth owns the first, second, and third highest rated rounds in history. In the state. In the state of South Carolina. Not North Carolina, South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. Hold on, repeat the question one more time. So Paul Macbeth owns the first, second, and third highest rated rounds in the state of South Carolina in all time, all time history. Forever. I'd say, I'll say stat. I'll start it. Nick's starting yeah. and he's saying stat. What do you say, Micah? I'm saying stat. I'm going to try to get a point on you guys because I don't know either way. So I'm going fiction. Simon, what do you got? I'm going to say fiction as well. I have, didn't Joth Anthon have like in a ridiculous round one of these USTGC years or does that not count? That's a good question. In the state the of South USDGC Carolina and Rock Hill. Oh, yeah. Then it, if it was in the state of South Carolina, oh my God, I still can't say Well, the USCGC state. is weird with ratings sometimes. I, if if I the ratings were posted, um, then the ratings would count. Well, there was I'm a couple years. I think Josh yeah. is up there. All right. He says fiction. I say fiction. Nick says stat. Micah says stat. We could have did teams here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Evan, what do we got? All right. This is a stat. Uh, wow. The highest uh, rated round in all of Go South Carolina history. Well, uh, they were all when he was on Innova. Um, <laughs> he, uh, Charleston Classic <laughs> wait, in 2012. Wait, pause. Say that again. Uh, all these highest rated rounds were when he was with Innova. Yeah, don't so. go disco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he had a 1098 at the Charleston Classic in 2012. He had a 1095 in 2014 at USDGC. He had a 1094 at 2013 USDGC. Josh Anthon that you were thinking of had a 1088 at 2009 USDGC, which is like 10th highest. Way underrated. Yeah. All right. Good job there, Micah. Somehow you knew it. You were so sure as soon as Nick said it. Maybe that was the case. We're going to make you answer first this time. All right. <laughs> Go ahead, Evan. All right. Well, uh, you said we were going to talk about it, so I, I'm going to bring it up. Matt, you had a 908 event rating at the 2021 Capital Disc <laughs> Open. This is your lowest event rating in the last 10 years in three-plus round uh, events. So if the event had three or more rounds, this is your lowest event. I, I'm not going to answer first. Years. And the, the fact is, I actually don't know this. Like, I didn't research it, but it is my game. And I've played three round events. Actually, I play quite a few three round events as far. I don't play a lot of events, but when I play them, it often is. Okay. Um, Micah, you're up first. Is that is that my lowest round rating or average for the uh, event. Lowest average for the event. What was it again? Uh, Nine oh eight. Nine oh eight. In the last th- ten years of a three <laughs> plus round tournament. A couple cool. Is that my lowest ever? I'm gonna have to say fiction. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So then you think I've shot lower? <laughs> <laughs> Just putting it out there. <laughs> I don't. I mean, if you started a way back when, it's possible. I know my first one was like eight. 30 so okay uh, <laughs> all right good you're you're humble i appreciate that um uh i'm not gonna answer nick before you so what do you got wait hold on so was this just for pro division or am as well all, all divisions all divisions so any okay all i'll divisions, go fiction as well last last 10 years fiction, nick three plus one <laughs> yeah 
All right, Simon, what do you think? I'm torn. I'm really torn. I don't know Matt that well either, as at least your player courier. I'm going to say it's a stat. All right. He says he says it's a stat. Uh, let me see. Oh, I don't have one for Simon up here. I can't pull up a stat for him. Simon says stat. I say stat as well. I'm going with Simon on this one. I think that was my lowest ever for three-round event. Um, that's my guess. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, what do you got, Evan? All right. This is a fiction, actually. It's, I w- what? Um, you shot a 905 at the 2016 Vibram Open at Maple Hill Amside uh, in 2000, I say 2016. Um, you also had one that was way lower. I shouldn't say way lower. In 2011. So that's over 10 years ago. So it wouldn't have counted, but it was an 889.67. Uh, but 889 three round event? Yeah, in 2011. Wow. Uh, I'm, I, I have a history, don't I? In 2016 at that Vibram Open, though, guess who you beat? Not Simon. Don't. 2011? 2016. 2016. Vibram Open AM side. Nico LaCastro. <laughs> oh, no, wait. We're talking to AM side. <laughs> Nico didn't play AM. Nico. No, you, okay, beat Casey, Nico you beat Casey White. I beat Casey White? By 11. Unless there's two Casey White. No, that was, that was the same one. I looked at wow. the top file from there. there you beat him go. by 11 strokes yeah. before he got cut and didn't make the final round. Wow. So. Round of applause. I did it. I've yep. made it. I beat Casey White in 2016. He was playing for a month. <laughs> he was 12 years old <laughs> or something you know all right so that's pretty good uh yes. thank you now i'm humble still be i am humble i shot like 50 Matt, below my rating i'll make you feel better okay you're complaining that an 88889 is too low that is one point higher than my player rating so oh well you can smoke me anytime well i just <laughs> way underperformed that's why it feels so bad Simon, no, you, you were yeah. talking before the show. What, what was this about ratings that you, you've had before? Oh, uh, only like two or three years ago in Norway, I played a, a crazy round where I took a 13 and a 14 in the same round on, <laughs> on holes. And I shot like an 884 rated round or something, which obviously has <laughs> never happened in my life. So it was, it was a cool experience. So, But let me ask, the difference here is I feel like I was really... I was trying. Did you get to a point where you were just like ten cupping it? You're like, yeah, whatever. I was trying to prove a point that I didn't like the course. All right. So see, there's a little difference. Was that on film, Simon? I, I think it is on film. Uh, I would have to dig pretty deep to find that. I think was, I, was I don't, eighteen I don't one know. of those holes that you had a massive number on? No. Okay. Eighteen might I have been like a seven a or something, but not not double digits. Is that the course where it was like you could either throw it over the water or play this long shot straight, and then it went like 90 degrees through, right? I feel like there was a tournament, and I feel like for some odd reason there was hot tubs on the last hole. Like people were hanging out in hot tubs afterwards. But I remember there was a tournament that I think you and Avery went to, and there was this like bomber shot over the water. And I could be totally wrong, but I feel like there's some sort of coverage out there. Yeah, I think you're thinking of Eagle and Avery that played the, the PCS Open, I think it's called, in Norway. Maybe I've never been to that maybe, event. Maybe, maybe. Course. All, okay. right. All right, we've we've got a little sidetrack, but it's good topics. Good topics. I hope you enjoy that, Mike. I'm sorry. Here we go. Uh, you guys are both tied two to two. Uh, Mike is competitive, I can tell. And let's see what happens here with number three. All right. So now on to you, Nick. I got Matt. Last question. 
Uh, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, even with Simon Lazat's shortened 2021 season, Simon earned more prize cash in 2021 than Nick Carl has in his entire career. Oh, I'm. I can I start this? I'm gonna say stat. <laughs> <laughs> We're all over here laughing in this room. Yeah. Oh my! I God, think it's yeah. stat too. <laughs> all right. I mean, is there any? Like just to take a moment, like that's the feeling. But just to take a moment, Nick, how much did you earn this year? Uh, do you want to know how much I earned this year or overall? Because I think that oh, was the overall. Moment. You're looking it up, right? Well, no, don't cheat. I haven't answered yet. No, no, no. I, I okay. Then just well, give us this so, year. Right, just so, give us yeah, this yeah. year, then, just for fun of it. This year, I only earned I don't know, probably about forty five hundred bucks. Okay, and this was an average year, <laughs> we'll say. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, no, it must it was, be it above average. Year. I, yeah, no, it, right. was, it was definitely a good year. Uh, wow, this is going to be really close. Um, I have no chance to win. I'm going to just go all in on fiction. <laughs> Simon. I have to say fiction as well. Um, I know actually because I recently checked um, how much I made this year and it blew my mind how little it was. I know actually Micah <laughs> made more in one event <laughs> than I made all year in tournaments. Oh, so that's the side I wasn't considering. So, yeah, how much you made. Yeah, I made, I think, eight point something thousand, maybe nine, but I don't think over 10,000. And I hope in Nick's career, he's made over $10,000 in disc golf. Come on, Nick. So well, I'm going to say this is fiction. So, uh, yeah. You guys are just both looking up the numbers here. What is this? No, no, no. I, no, I, I knew what I made this oh. year. I actually looked it up like two days ago or something like that. But I, I okay. go ahead. Evan, I'll let did, you did Matt answer? Did you answer? Yeah, I said fiction? fiction, yeah. All right. Well, I can just jump into it because I have both your numbers if you want to yeah. hear them. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, this is fiction. Uh, yes. Simon in 2021 made $8,586. <laughs> Nick? You have at least made eight thousand seven hundred and nine dollars in your career. It was that I close, one hundred and fifty dollars ish. So I actually thought I I knew I I knew I only made about eight grand so far um, playing disc golf, and I kind of want to go back to I didn't play a lot of events last year, and I only played like the last three years, or I would say the last two years, I've played a majority of big events when I definitely should not have. Like in twenty seventeen, I played like five or six big events. And I did not, I didn't make a single dollar in 2017. Okay. So. Yeah. I think about half your money you made in your career has been from this year, or at least the last 12 months. So maybe the end of yeah. No, no, it, it has been this, this year was definitely the first year that like, it, you know, I took it a lot more seriously and, but Micah still has me beat in one tournament that I have. And <laughs> what, I would say three, three definite years of playing pro disc golf. So attaboy. All right. So yeah, Micah, you've done well with your income before we get to the tiebreaker. There's gotta be some tiebreaker here between Nick and Micah. Um, are, are you saving that money? Are you saving money, Micah, or did that already go for some purchase? No, I'm definitely saving it. I'm going to try to make it go towards like next year's tour, like all that I can do, uh, basically just save it up for tour. Okay. Awesome. All right. Give us the tiebreaker if you have it. All right. I, I just had some extra stats about Simon, actually, just because I was trying to figure out a good question with that. So let's go into this. Um, Open-ended. Uh, we'll go whoever says it first can lock in their, uh, their answer, I guess. So if you absolutely know it, just say it. Um, and then if you guys both didn't say the number one, whoever was closest to the top. Uh, what state 
in the United States has Simon earned the most cash in? California. California, Nick says. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Milo McCliver is in Oregon, so I'm going to go there. Also, I think they had Portland this open there, too. So I'm going to go there. Does Simon get to answer? If you want, yeah. Dark Horse answer, I'm going to say Illinois. Ooh, that's a good one, actually. Oh, but that is God. not it. Um, California and Oregon are not it either. Matt, do you want one quick guess? Uh, it is Arizona. Uh, Simon, oh, okay. you would, did pretty yeah, well at the Memorial over your career. Arizona was going to yeah. be my next one. Yeah. Just of course the Memorial. I had like oh, five top threes in a row there. Yep. You're right. Yeah, your lowest finish ever was seventh, yep. I think. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, not too shabby. Uh, California was third highest with a level. So that was $17,054 in Arizona. California has 11345 Oregon's not on my list of like top seven. But I think it was about like four or five. I think it was barely off. Uh, it was right below Massachusetts, which is sixty four hundred. Illinois is not on there at uh, all. Illinois is fourth. Okay, uh, with ten thousand three hundred, because your highest cash you've ever earned in your career is at Ledgestone, Ledgestone. in twenty fifteen. Yeah, so that was over half your Illinois earnings. Do we have another one? Do we have a way to do that and go back and past history and figure out an answer here? Um, okay, how about this? What's the highest? Um, over par, I threw on a hole at this event this past weekend. Um, Nick. <laughs> oh, I, I answered first last one. I'll let Micah go. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> so, like, score or, like, total number? No, um, over par on a hole. What was my highest over par on a hole? Uh, I'm going to call double, double bogey. All right, Nick, what do you got? Oh, see, Micah, that's way too generous. That is way too generous. Dude, he, he took a quadruple bogey probably once and two triple bogeys, I bet. Neither of you are correct. Well, you tried to guess, or did you say quadruple, Nick? I said quadruple at first. And Micah said double? Are we really doing that? It was triple. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wait, are we still on tiebreakers? Yeah, we need oh, a tiebreaker. I was, was going to say, Nick, I thought Nick won the tiebreaker because yeah. he was closer to the top. Because oh, California closer. was third. Yeah, oh, he was the closest. All right, all right. So we Nick can keep. Oh, okay. We can I keep. I, I, was, I, I thought you were just wanting to have more fun. I didn't know you were trying to get <laughs> no. the tiebreaker. <laughs> That's funny. All right. We're going to call it. I guess, Nick, you, you want it. I hope you can uh, appreciate the win. <laughs> just stares at the camera. <laughs> Why is it so awkward? Okay, let's close out Satter Fiction. All right, everybody has stat or fiction. We are excited that stat Mando hooks us up with that. Um, let's do this real quick. Um, before we get into our next topics, we are going to go ahead and thank the people who are supporting our show. Um, and this includes Manscaped. The holiday season is giving thanks to our friends at Manscaped. Tell your extended family that you have the Performance Package 4.0 from Global Leaders and Below the Waist Grooming, not to mention it includes the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. Um, you're going to get brownie points with the in-laws, gift your Manscaped, or give it to the man in your life who needs it. Join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with 20% off free shipping with the code Nick and Matt. Go to manscaped.com, 20% off. It is time to get gifts. Um, and Thanksgiving, they're going to have some great deals. So, Nick, did you happen to hear, and if not, we need to let everybody know, they have new um, body wash, shampoo, mm -hmm. conditioner, mm -hmm. 
do you, we're gonna get we're gonna get into it, Nick. Do yeah. you do I, you I'll, like I'll you, I mean, do you like shampoo and conditioner? Is that your thing? <laughs> I I am a huge so growing up, my aunt owned a salon that my mom okay. has worked at literally my whole life, and so we have been spoiled with very nice shampoo conditioners pretty much my whole life. I'm I'm very much a stickler on what I'm putting in my hair. Um, so I'm actually very excited that Manscaped is coming out with a new two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. Also it was just released. Wash. It was just released. Exactly. Like, I haven't had the chance yeah. to use it, but I'm looking forward to it. Exactly. So when we get that, I'm very excited to start using that. And then also the body wash. Matt, you like the cologne. I know your wife likes the cologne. I like wearing the cologne. And so I'm excited. If the body wash smells half as good as that, I will be very content. I'm spraying in the studio right now for all of our, you know, Simon and other friends we'll, we'll introduce here in a minute. And Evan, it's going to start smelling very manscaped in here. And it's going to be a one. Wow. Do you smell that? Can you taste it? Yeah. <laughs> it's so strong. I, I probably shouldn't have sprayed that oh, much. Yep. It's like <laughs> my tongue, it's burning. Oh, it's burning so good. All right. Um, lawnmower 4.0, as we've always talked about, uh, I'm not going to use any names here, but one of my coworkers I picked up the other day because we were transitioning out some vehicles at work and the hair sticking out of his nose was incredible. And I literally thought to myself, man, he needs manscaped. He needs the weed whacker for the nose. Um, and don't we all really though? Don't we all? That's the thing. That's where we would all be without manscaped. So use manscaped.com, um, Nick and Matt and get 20% off and support, support them. They're supporting disc golf. They're supporting us. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, um, Micah, you excited to get yes, sponsors and represent a, a lot of people out there on tour? Yes, sir. I am very excited. Um, do you have any like products outside of, let's say, Discraft? Were there any products that you'd look, you'd like to get sponsored with? Um, not really yet, but if the opportunity uh, presents itself, pretty much, yeah, I'll take, I'll take <laughs> pretty it. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> um, like whale sacks, I'm thinking. Um, there's all different stuff. Oh, Garrett Girthy Double G Jerky. That would be a great sponsorship. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, That's like sir. one of my favorite snacks right now. Love it. <laughs> yeah. All right, you heard that, I Garrett. Yeah, I just gave a bunch of those out when I went up to this uh, charity event, and everyone was loving it. The uh, It was the McBeast Blend barbecue style of it, and – it's oh, delicious. It's so literally good. like someone put a little, you know, little barbecue sauce just right on the beef jerky every single time. I'm Hold on. It. So stop. I, I love them. They did not pay for an ad spot. I want to be very clear. We're just talking out of the love for the jerky. It's not fair, exactly. Garrett. You've made a great product. Exactly. Okay. Um, maybe we should get them to sponsor the show, huh? What do you think? They did right. it once before. Let's do it again. We'll have to put some talks in. All right. Micah, it was great having you on the show. You want to do any shout outs or talk about anything that we might have missed? Uh, shout outs. I like to shout out to my sponsor, uh, Down South Discs, of course, for representing me with discs and stuff. And uh, NADGT and David Philberg presenting the opportunity for me to do that. And uh, thanks, you guys, for having me on here. Thank you for joining the show, my man. You are an amazing golfer. Keep it up. And I guarantee you're going to win something big in the future again. And it won't be in an amateur division because you're now professional. <laughs> You've done something that I've never done and will never do. So props to you. And uh, we'll have you back again sometime. Thanks, guys. All Peace. right, man. Have a great evening. You have a good one. You too. All right. You too. Bye. Okay, Nick, 
Micah Groth. Very cool. Young guys out there tearing mm -hmm. it up. Did you see the smile on his face when Simon said, oh, it's happening, a vlog? I did. Okay. I did. It's a very, it's a very fun opportunity to see a lot of younger people and just people in general who are huge fans of these top pros. And then to be able to have that kind of moment, it's pretty great. So kudos to you, Simon. You're a great guy. <laughs> Thank you. We're, we're laughing so much just because you can't see Nick at, at any minute, minute like we can. You said, Simon, you're a great guy. Simon's just shaking his head. Are you kidding me, Nick? He is. Simon's the man. <laughs> you too, Nick. I don't know if they can hear Thanks, me, Simon. but you too. Oh, I we can. can hear you. I can hear you. People were commenting on your voice earlier. They're like, they said, I'll have to go find it. Simon, his voice is fire. <laughs> I something like that. I just got over a cold from last week, so it's still maybe a bit of rasp because of that. Thank you, though. No, they're, they're giving you a compliment, Simon. You have to take it as a compliment. That's why I said thank you. Yeah, I, well, you're just like, oh, so it's, sorry it sounds like that. It <laughs> sounds great. Do your thing. <laughs> I don't know. Simon, I'm trying to find... You've been watching any darts lately, Simon? Nick, you got to come visit my house. I have the new greatest darts setup of all time. Do you really? Yes, I really do. All right, don't spoil it because when I come home for Thanksgiving, I'm 100% going to come over with some greater good brewery beer and we're going to play darts all night. Cheers. Speaking of greater good, we got the shirt on right now. Place is great. Okay. Oh, it's amazing, actually. <laughs> it's not often we just do this small talk. It's fine. I like it. It's great. How do you like it out there, chat? You like the small talk like this, Simon Studio? All right, so here's... Well, hold on. So now, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to be the attacker now, okay? <laughs> Matt, 908 average this last weekend. You've been killing it this year. Now you're, you're, you're the one being interviewed. You, you've been actually doing very well this year. What yeah, happened? how do you Was like that cold in New York? Yeah. <laughs> All right, si there's I'm, multiple I'm questions. The <clears throat> there's multiple questions coming at me. Simon said, how do I like the course? Nick said, what happened? I will do the Matt version of short, but I'll let you stop me and interject and cut me off at any point because you know how I get. So just be like, answer it. All right. First, Nick, what happened? In all seriousness, and I hope this is very relatable to everybody, uh, I don't practice anymore, mainly because I have a very busy life. Um, that's probably not the main reason. During the round, though, I think I made it through like, 21 holes so like the first round and then three into the next and the wheels fell off and i don't know why it was a mental lapse but like i totally was just messing up my form like a hundred percent and we're gonna get to this in a minute we got some friends in the room who can talk about some of this but i'm breaking it down and have you ever done that during a tournament round where you're like my form is off and you're trying to fix it mid-round and you can't like release a shot to practice it like you have to do it in the moment and yeah. i knew generally what it was but it was just all off and so my throws were coming out way offline like and when you're in the woods for most of the tournament and when i say woods nick have you ever played jay park uh north in the woods is that the one that you played this last weekend i don't think i've played <laughs> any of those no. okay it was more wooded than any woods I've ever played. And I'm from New England. And there were 800 foot long holes through more woods than I've ever played in a wooded course. And it, my honest, and now that I'm going to Simon's question, <laughs> my honest opinion 
Okay, Jeff Wachowski in the chat. He's one of the guys out there that does a lot of the work here at the course. He said, Jorlamon is a tough course. Yes, it's extremely tough. And are there lines to the basket? The answer would be yes. But it's like a spaghetti line. Like, I'm just going to say it was incredibly tough because there were trees everywhere. And I don't know how to explain it. Uh, what's the course? Um, Delaware Disc Golf Challenge. What is that? Iron Hill. Iron Hill. Yeah, Iron they, Hill. They have like defined fairways, though. It's like rocks. <laughs> you land and every shot hits a rock. And yeah. so this was going to be what I was just going to say is like, to me, and I'm not speaking bad of the course. If you don't like woods, you wouldn't like that course is all I'm saying. It's that you should generally be able to have a good landing spot that, re that rewards you with a lane to the basket. And it shouldn't be like a micro landing spot, like this four foot circle. Yeah. If you're not here exactly after 400 feet through the trees, like, um, anyways, there was enough holes that frustrated me. And, and I'm saying this all, like I was trying to speculate and say, was I playing bad? Is that why I didn't like it? Or is it really like, I can objectively look at it. I think, and to be fair, I heard there was a lot of change. I heard there was a lot of change at the course. Like something's got changed recently and newer. And I feel like maybe they just threw in some holes. One of my explanations, and I don't know what hole it was. I said it was like 800 feet long. And I think they just took a tee pad in a basket. They said, we have to get from here to here. Like, bing, there you go. Like get there somehow, yeah. some way. And like after four throws, I couldn't still see the basket. And I'm like, where's the basket? It's still 400 more feet Jeez. up the hill. So I think everybody should go play it and make their own decision about that course for sure. Because on that same property, they have an open course. Okay. And it's open and it was fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. it, and I'll be fair, Jorleman North in the woods. I was not up for the challenge because there was a professional there. Um, Dan Brooks Wells, who shot like a yeah. total of like 13 under for the event. So he did it. 11. Oh, at some point he was like 13 under the trees must've got him once or twice. So that's my long, long version. It's like, ah, uh, yeah, it was kind of Do you want me to boost your confidence? Yeah, go for it. All right, this was a three-round event, and as you mentioned, Daniel Brooks-Wells took down the win. He's a touring pro, very good player. Every single round, you at least birdied one hole that he did not birdie. What? Dropping what the stats? Just, just one hole. <laughs> just so three times, just one, one each round. Hole. But that's still impressive. I couldn't do that. Are you kidding me? <clears throat> yeah. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. There was a few. So one last thing, and this was not about, this is not the Matt show. Well, kind of is sometimes, but <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. Um, so we need an interview now. Yeah, you interviewed me. So yeah. if you said, Matt, what's your strength? So if you asked that, what was your, what's my strength? So my strength is putting for sure. And throwing a comet, which is what I did on 90% of the shots. Mm-hmm. Putting was not, I don't, actually, I think I might've missed in the last round, it got a little bad, but I think in the whole tournament, I might've missed eight putts. And that's like, not counting, I guess, circle two stuff, but like generally eight putts the whole tournament. I hit some really big putts. I felt really good with my putting game. All right, enough about me. We have some friends in the room and I keep introducing them as friends because I want to get their input on who they are. Yeah, they can, they're going to jump into the studio seating here. And we'll just pass the microphone around and let them get their headset on. And um, Nick, is it fair to say you've 
you know these guys, I believe. They said they know you. I do. Okay. I've uh, known one of them actually for technically about four years now. And then the other one I met, uh, what was it, last year actually? Maybe last December, maybe earlier this year. It was one or the other. It might have been just about a year ago actually. Okay. So let's bring them on to camera. Here they come. Boop. There we go. Three on a couch now. So they're all waving. Uh, Simon's in the middle. <laughs> He's like a sandwich there. It's perfect. So Simon, introduce your friends to us. Tell us what they're doing up yes. here, and then we'll let them. Actually, why don't you host the interview for them right now? Me? Yeah, go for oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I would love to. I need practice doing this anyway, because who knows? Maybe this is my future job, running podcasts and oh. stuff. I'm, I'm very interested. <laughs> dropping, so, dropping okay, hints. So these guys um, mainly work together on a YouTube channel called Overthrow disc golf and they do a lot of tutorial stuff and form breakdowns recently they did a, a project with drew gibson and um, who we all know after the last couple of weeks because he had an amazing finish to the year and they got really good slow-mo from all angles from drew's form who is one of the best backhand throws in the world they're breaking that down they did an interview with drew and i've actually been subscribed to their channel i think they have about fifteen thousand subscribers by now and I've been subscribed before they even reached a thousand subscribers because I just saw the quality in the pro in the product, content-wise and visually. Um, here's Mike right here. He's the editor, and uh, he does a phenomenal job. And Josh, who is the coach. And I think I said everything I wanted to say. I can uh, give you the mic, Josh, and have you kind of say. Uh, what the big big vision is of your YouTube channel and why people should come and subscribe. Hey, um, so I'm Josh. Basically, Mikey and I, we used to coach tennis at the same country club. I'm now directing at that country club, but we were both certified tennis teaching pros. And Mikey and I, when he left to go direct at a different club, we wanted to hang out still, so we started playing disc golf, which I had played, you know, through college and stuff like that. And Mikey was doing stuff, and I was looking, I'm like, holy cow, I understand this stuff now because I've been teaching biomechanics and tennis. And so it started to make more sense to me. I didn't have great form back in the day, especially on my backhand side, my forehand side was decent. But uh, then I looked and just saw kind of there was this gap in disc golf instruction, both in, and Mikey saw the same gap in video quality that he thought he could fill, and I thought I could bring some simple instruction to it. So hopped in the game early January, dropped a couple of videos, and we've been grinding ever since. It's been a blast. Mikey? Or Simon? Um, yeah, so I literally subscribed to these guys just because I thought it was good, good stuff, looking good and good information. Um, and they are here, if, in case you're wondering why they were here. Partially, obviously, to be on the Nick and Matt show. <laughs> That's that the whole reason. They flew up, baby. No. But uh, no, we're working on a little project together. Uh, similar that they did with Drew a couple of weeks ago. Um, we got great slow-mo footage of me throwing different distances and different angles for them to break down and kind of try to really find the roots of how the back end works properly. Because... This golf is kind of still lacking on the coaching side, so pretty excited for that. We got an interview in a, in a hot tub today, which uh, I'm excited <laughs> to share with everyone. So, uh, yeah, uh, Mikey, what 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 are your thoughts? 
Uh, yes. Uh, so I just am the video guy, and that's what I do. Thank you. Yeah, he's really good. Also, if you've watched, uh, shout out to Drew Gibson's YouTube channel. If you've watched any of Drew's recent vlogs, they were edited by Mike, and you can tell that they were edited by a pro because then it looks good. Oh, other than my videos. Okay, so now I'm jumping in here because I just got excited for a second. We have to talk after the show. You you do all the production. You're you produce, you video and produce. Yes. All right, good. We're talking after the show. Do not forget. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that was a really good networking opportunity. All right, yeah. So, um, what are your ambitions like to take this to like how far and where? Like, hmm. yeah. So everything that we're doing is kind of. We've got a couple veins that shoot off of the getting taking the average disc golfer and bringing them closer to pro in both form and knowledge and also just getting close to them and understanding what is it that they like. It was actually Simon's idea to do the interview in the hot tub. We were trying to figure out, you know, we try to want, want kind of want these interviews laid back. And so he's like, we could do it in the hot tub. And we're like, yes. And so we're try, trying to figure out how to make this thing work. But that's what Simon's passionate about. So the hot tub, that's, that's all he talks about. It's literally nothing else. <laughs> I don't even think I knew he had a hot tub. That's, I mean, I don't go over there often, but now I yeah. will. No, but just that kind of stuff. So just bringing everybody up to speed. I was going to say par. And I want to say, um, like seriously that a lot of people, when they look for information of how to get better in disc golf search, clinics or like tutorials by pros which i guess that thought makes sense i would i would probably do the same thing but often the people that are really good at a sport for example paul or eagle or or me the pros are not the best coaches because we started so young with this that we don't really we never really had to learn how to do it or especially how to get to how to do it um, just because it's, it's all natural for us because we've been doing it for so many years. So Josh, I played with him around today <laughs> and we filmed it for my vlog. So that's going to drop hopefully in the next couple days. And uh, you'll see that he's not the greatest player out there, but he has clean form and he is really good. Um, you'll see in the videos on Overthrow Disc Golf um, at letting or telling you how to get there, not what to do, but how to do it which a lot of pros struggle to teach, in my opinion. Yeah, Simon had the most beautiful line ever in the hot tub today. Um, <laughs> so good. It was, uh, he said, you know, coach, pros are telling you, you know, what to do, but coaches are telling you how to learn. And he said, and a lot of these pros don't know how they learned. They just did it. And so... I was missing, I, I was missing lines and putts. I was missing everything today. Um, and I could look back and figure out why and know why. And it wasn't until probably hole 17's drive or whatever the last hole we played was, the second to last one, that I was like, oh yeah, I've been doing this the whole round. And that was my problem. And if I had looked at the footage, I would have, you know, coached a student, like, stop doing that. But <laughs> since I'm there doing it, I don't know, man. I'm just sh shanking away on Simon's vlog. Just, it was great. Sure was hot. You want to say something? Yes. So, 
I'm the video guy, but also I get to listen to Josh's instruction probably a thousand times more than the average individual because uh, I have to edit it and take out all the filler words and, you know, make them sound like he's very to the point, which he is. But after the filler words are taken out, for sure. I was going to comment that my, my form has gotten much, much, much better uh, from being the video editor for, for Overthrow. So uh, hopefully Josh can coach me to 1,000 plus rated. We'll see. All right, I have one question. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. So sports, obviously, the, there's a physical side to it, but especially golf and disc golf. The mental side of the game is also huge and I think very coachable. And I was just wondering if you were planning or have any ideas on becoming like also coaching the mental side of it. I don't know if you, is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. And actually that's where I'm more passionate in my tennis coaching. And yeah, stuff that I do, I would never tell my students to do. Like I overthink way too much as is evident on my putting. But, uh, yeah, the the mental side is way, way more important. Like, just risk management, shot selection, playing to your strengths, things like that. I definitely want to get there. And listening to you during just rounds and stuff like that, there are things that you say that help me think, wow, this is probably one of the more important things, like height of the disc, for example, um, that's just way more worthwhile looking at than just the form yes <laughs> yes simon you definitely need to start a podcast i like that no you do you're doing great all right nick what's up are you asleep uh, over there well, i was gonna say no no i was gonna i was gonna make a joke earlier when they said they came all the way to massachusetts to get on the make a match show and i was gonna say well that's a huge waste because you guys literally could have driven 15 minutes here and been on the nick and matt show so um yeah but who has the who has the better studio nick who has the better studio uh you 100 percent have the better (laughs) studio and they seem like they're on a very comfy couch and i'm on just a nice little office chair so um, now they're they're killing it right now. Hey, it's funny because when I was asking Matt earlier, and he told me Simon was coming live in studio, I was like, "Oh, sweet! I haven't I haven't actually talked to Simon in a while." And then Matt was like, "Yeah, he has some YouTube guys who I can't name yet." And then I'm thinking, I'm like, "Who the hell is coming on our show that like Matt isn't even allowed to talk about?" And then I was like, "Oh, it's Mikey and Josh." Right when I like right when we got on Skype together, I was like. Why didn't you just tell me? I could have promoted that saying overthrow disc golf is coming on, but I guess it makes sense now that um, for the people who didn't know, definitely check them out on overthrow disc golf. I've actually watched on their videos and had Josh and I have actually talked because I started teaching lessons here down in Virginia um, a few months ago and Josh has hit me up and I'm at this point, I'm like, yo, Josh, I need you to coach me. Actually. I need you to break down my form. So we'll have to get something going. Josh and Mikey do a fun video. Yeah, that PM went, I know what I want you to coach me on now, putting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Putting, putting. I can actually, I feel like I could actually teach well on putting. I always, I always feel bad. I, you know, I'm a decently well-rounded player, and I play decent disc golf a majority of the time. And, uh, but a lot of people who come up and want to do lessons with me want to work on backhand power. And I am not someone, I, I can coach someone to say, here are the things that you should be doing. 
but I'm not someone who throws far. I, I have very, very poor distance compared to other professional disc golfers. I was just playing with Ezra Aderhold today and on a hole where, you know, I try to finesse a Hades. He just powered a Luna there and got it to like 35 feet on almost a 400 foot hole, just a weird gap and everything, but it's just crazy. The difference in power of these players. So anyways, don't look for me for power, go to overthrow disc golf and they can, you, you can find much better things to work on your form from. Interesting. My question would be to the panel, <laughs> Josh, as um, you are developing this coaching talent in disc golf, mm -hmm. are you learning new things about disc golf form that you coach like regularly? Like you're like, wow, that's a new thing. Like I, I'm, that's a new thing like that you're coaching. And then the second part of that question or a new question, two questions is um, actually, I'll just let you get that first one. Yeah, so I'm also, my backhand form was absolute garbage, like, before we started the channel. Just really bad. Um, so I'm rebuilding my backhand form. Part of why I'm spraying everywhere is because I'm not working on accuracy at all right now. I'm just trying to get the form clean, and I saw I'm going to aim it later. Um, that's not an excuse. That's just where I'm at in the process. Um, so, but... Yeah, there's stuff that I see and there's stuff that I learn even from our our community. Like I've got guys that will say things that you know they've they're throwing mid they're throwing discs 450 now. I'm like, "Great, send that to me, please." Um and then they'll say something interesting like about the left arm move, like the punch down when people do that, it rotates, you know, they rotate their hand and it starts the shoulder comes in and you know, you see Drew and Eagle throwing that hand in. And it's like, oh, is that why the hand has to rotate? It's because it's driving that. It's just constantly learning and just looking at all those things and the similarities and finding all the, going through all the footage and trying to find, I'm learning all the time. Is your best tip for getting better form, because Simon gets asked all the time, I hear it, uh, all these players getting asked all the time. Um, one, what is your best tip for it? But Two, my experience is when a friend, the disc golf friend, whoever it is, I don't care who it is, they either video me, like you mentioned, so you can see yourself and be like, yeah, that's not good. I know it's wrong. But if you don't know it's wrong, having somebody tell you what you're doing. Like I was playing Team Challenge, and um, during Team Challenge, my partner, it, Team Challenge is a doubles thing or whatever. He's like, Matt, you keep pulling in your arm and then like leaning your back up. Like, so I'm getting my arm up and then it's coming out flat or Anheuser. He's like, Matt, Matt, I've literally been telling you that for seven years. I Leave know that. that's, that's <laughs> when my form, that's the problem is like, I don't practice and like, I know it, but I can't see it. Like, so when I fix it, I'll get some great throws out. And then like, slowly you get back into that, like bad habit and you don't realize that you're doing it until someone films you or tells you again. So it's like, I do this super like wavy thing. So I'm guessing practice is a big part of it, but what's your best tip for somebody or best way for them? Cause they're not having you film them and they're not, you're not commenting on their stuff. Right. There are a few, sorry, I don't have just one, but <laughs> when you look at that one, number one, best tip is don't get your advice from the disc golf form check group. Um, <laughs> sorry. The, the issue is that you have a hundred people look at your form there and you can have a hundred of your friends look at it and tell you a hundred different things. And there could be a hundred things wrong with your form. 
but what do you work on? What do you work on first? Like, is this lean back thing the result of poor shoulder rotation on, on extension there? Or what is the source issue? What should you work on first and what's your battle plan going forward? I'm a big firm believer in working on one thing at a time and trying to really clean up the one aspect. And I'll give you, I, I usually work right arm for righties. So I'll say right arm, left arm, you know, hips is kind of the order that I go through for various reasons. But get someone you trust and is that no, that's knowledgeable to look and give you that one piece of advice to work on and to start on. And then if you trust them, go from there. Don't say, okay, well, that thing's, I don't believe that. Let me go somewhere else. <laughs> Find someone you trust to work on your form, a local pro. A lot of these guys are doing work in the off season. If you trust them and if they're knowledgeable, get with them and get a coach. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, what's the ethic here? And I'll ask Simon this and the panel of Josh and it, it, what's the ethic there? Like if someone's like, Hey, can you coach my form? Like, that's not really fair. I mean, do you want people asking you that Simon? And like, do you charge for that? Or are you not doing that? Like how should people attack that if they were to reach out? Well, <clears throat> it happens almost every day where I get a message like that. People sending me um, a video, hopefully in slow-mo. <laughs> That's always helpful. <laughs> um, and asking me, Hey, do you have any pointers? I, as of recently, like the last year or two, I haven't been answering that many of those anymore. I used to do it like maybe once once or once every other week. Um, I would get back to people on that and try to help. But I just don't feel like I'm very good at it, which I don't know. I don't want to give bad advice. And especially because if you throw like with this much force and power, um, injuries are pretty easily attained. <laughs> Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to get injured in disc golf if you do wrong movements at the wrong time. So I don't want to cause any injuries. I don't want to tell people to try to throw like me because I've been doing it my whole life and I am kind of a freak in a way that people need a bit realize that throwing 500 feet is not normal. <laughs> like you can't, not everyone physically just can learn how to throw 500 feet. You've got to be somewhat of a freak. I don't really know how how, how else to say it. There's people on tour that have great form. Like I wouldn't point out anything that I think is wrong with it, but they only throw 420 or 400 feet. Like it's just not normal to throw or have that crazy arm speed. Um, But no, I get messages like that all the time and I get back sometimes like I would say like one in 20, maybe I would get back to, but you don't mind if they ask, it's just, you might not get back to them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ask me anything. (laughs) (laughs) Approach him on the street corner and force him. My other inbox on Instagram is constantly so full that I can read about a third of them I get every day. But I check every day. (laughs) But I check every day. Awesome. Um, Yeah. Did you have any opinion on that question? Yeah. Yeah. That's the hard thing is who's knowledgeable right now, what's in the sport. And you got to kind of... You've got to look and, you know, it might not be us. It might be Slingshot. It might be some of these other coaches out there. If you like what they're saying and you can trust them as much as you're knowledgeable, trust them. And most of the time, like Simon's saying, it's not the pros. Even though they have great form, you know, they could get away with murder if they wanted to in a clinic and just say, like, here's the issue. And there's, we've got to get to the point where we have these fundamentals that coaches are teaching and then, you know, maybe there's certified coaches at some point 
And then you say, here's what my credibility is. Unfortunately, not everybody has credibility, but don't just take Joe Schmo off the street and say, hey, could you look at my form just because you throw further than me? Yeah, interesting conversation. Uh, when I was doing kids disc golf, that was actually one of our visions originally was to get to a place where we offered some type of a coaching network because, and and I think it would be really interesting to have, and I'm not, I'm just shooting out here. Like someone like Simon backing it and being like the Simon coaching education school. Like they come out to Simon. Um, Simon gives all of his tips and tricks. This is a for instance. And they take away what Simon taught them how to teach. And then they're certified to do it. Right. Or you could do it through overthrow disc golf. Like they go and get taught by you how to do it. And then, yeah, it'd be really interesting. All right. Um, by the way, I'm ordering up pizza. Is that good? I would love pizza. Right, right you, now. Can, you can't, you can't say that on air with me right now. I'm going to want some pizza and I'm going to be mad that I'm not in Massachusetts right now. So come on, <laughs> get in the car, Nick. Go, go. We'll keep the show going for another 10 yeah. hours. We'll, you'll see. We'll see you soon. Hey, um, with the car, my buddy let me drive this last weekend. I could have been there in like eight hours. So I'm, I'm disappointed. You didn't even let me know. All right. But I do want to continue a conversation here and Nick, I'm going to let you start it while I keep ordering the pizza and you guys can chime in on it too with Nick is the conversation related to um, DD number one to start it, but then just generally how other companies and and Simon might or may not speak up here. I don't know. How are other companies uh, shaping up to like make moves? And I want to start the conversation by saying DD to me is shaping up to make a big move. And the rumors were, uh, last season that there was going to be, there were some major offers being made to players. And if I remember correctly without an Eagle did not say DD, but when we had him on, we talked to him about things. It, he seemed to allude to like, yes, I was given some really large offers and my speculation was DD. Um, now with Eric Oakley, one of their main players, they have more than that. Chris Clemens and they've got world champions and all that. I guess where I'm getting with this, get it all out. Talk to me about DD. Are they shaping up to make a big move? Do you have any speculations on who might go there? So we were talking about this a little bit last week, actually, which um, is kind of cool because then we can get back into this conversation. I will say one thing that really popped into my mind is from what I heard, Eric still had one year left on his contract, but was able to break away from it. And the only reason that I could think DD would be like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Cause I know they did that with Paige in the past, but it wasn't really their choice. It was more her trying to like push out of it. I think with DDs and Eric's, it was a very mutual agreement. And I just speculating could be totally wrong about that. But um, I think that definitely frees up a lot of money that they were investing into Eric in all different areas, whether it comes from discs or actual salary that they can use to another player. And I was talking to some people on Twitter with the Nick and Macho Twitter um, about our conversation of who do we think is going to make some offseason moves. And I think potentially a player like Kyle Klein. Now DD has a little bit more to offer to a player like Kyle Klein or a player like Calvin Heimberg. DD now has more of a cap room to look at a player of that caliber. I'm not saying those two players in general. I have no idea if either of them are planning on leaving their sponsors. But those are two players that come to mind and who I brought up last week that I think would be a good move. And also, let's just take Kyle, for example. If Kyle was to move over to, to DD, he would be the number one player on their team. 
he would be their spotlight player. Chris Clemens, Zach Mellon, both incredible players. But Kyle definitely play-wise is showing up a lot better than those two at these, you know, these events that we've had this past year. So I definitely think that is one reason why they were fine with letting Eric leave before his contract was legitimately done. Um, yeah, I mean, so that's you think, kind of my take you on think that they are shaping situation. up? You think they're shaping up for a big move? Yes. Yeah, I think they. I think they put out some offers last year potentially that. I think would be enticing to the normal person, but for the top pros in our sport right now, I don't think they were good enough. Um, so I think now opening up that salary space is just another way to create space, make make a make a big move. I think that's something that is needed for DD as well. They it's been a while since they've had that top MPO player, so I think it it would be good for them to make an offer that someone literally could not refuse. Okay, so I'm going to throw it over to the panel. Anybody over there, Simon can start with it. You don't have to talk specifically to DD if you want to keep it generic, but do teams or do brands now like disc golf manufacturers need the big name players to succeed in today's market? Um, well, the whole business side of it is uh, tricky because I don't think I fully understand everything. But what I want to say, important to keep in mind is that disc golf is still, um, compared to other sports, tiny like tiny so a lot of relationships these uh us pros have with our sponsors are like friends and family style not really business style so i'm sure that when eric um was talking to dd about maybe leaving or having different plans or ideas for his future um it was more that dd would be supportive for their player because they're friends <laughs> I think we're all mm -hmm. kind of friends in the disc golf world. So, and they would be to Eric, like, if this is what you want to do, if this is uh, what will make you happy, then we support that. Like, even though they're, they're losing, of course, Eric as a player, um, at least that's the experience that I've had. And I've heard about from most um, other pros is that it's all friendship based and we're kind of want to help each other out. Even what, what do you call it? Like intercompany wise. But it's all changing. Disc golf is growing like at a crazy speed, and I think it's all going to change in the future. But I think as of right now, um, everything is still uh, handled very, very friendly and not too official. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering, um, I was talking to some friends about this recently, is why do we have Team Discraft, Team Discmania, Team Innova, Team Dynamic Discs? Why are we all teams in a sense we represent those respected companies simon is a discmania sponsored player i am a discraft sponsored player when you look at players like brooks kepka or tiger woods they're not team nike they're just nike sponsored athletes so or like steph Curry's not team under armor he's just an under armor sponsored athlete and so that's yeah. why i'm curious like why why has disc golf created because i feel like disc golf kind of created it because it's a singular player sport to where you're competing against your field. There's no teammates unless you're at a doubles event, obviously, but there's no teammates in our sport. When I'm playing a tournament against Simon, I'm competing against Simon. So why do we have, or like, I'll use a better example. When I go to a tournament with Paul, we're both team Discraft sponsored players. I get it. We're on the same team. We're sponsored by the same company, but like, why are we a team? I'm competing against him. I'm, I'm rooting for him. If I'm not, if I'm not winning a tournament, you just answered the I'm question, Nick. Yeah, I'm, I'm rooting. Well, okay, Why so are you rooting for him? 
so I guess I think the only reason that well, yeah. So if if we are never labeled as teams, I would just root for the people who I consider my friends on tour. To be honest, Simon, if no, Paul's good, not winning a tournament, I think no, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying, like if Paul's not winning a tournament and you're in contention to win it, I'm 100 percent rooting for you. So yeah, I, mean, I mean, but we're, we're friends, so let's take the friendship out of it. It's <laughs> yeah. The reason we have these teams is because this golf is so small. That if, for example, Eagle wins a tournament, it's so good for Discmania. And if something so good happens for Discmania, it automatically is also good for me. Because if my company that yeah. I play for is successful, that automatically means I get paid more. I'm going to be more successful. Go and Eagle! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's why we have this team feeling. Because if a, if a Discraft player, yeah. or if, let's say Discraft sweeps the field and goes one, two, three in a tournament... Discraft is going to have a really fun week at the warehouse. And that benefits every single Discraft player, not just the ones that actually win. That's why we have this team dynamic, which I agree is weird. And I don't like that much, but I think that's mainly the reason for it, even though there's probably other reasons as well. You know, I'm not going to lie. That was probably the best answer someone could have given me. Says, you're totally right about that. If, you know, if Paul wins the tournament... And Paul threw one of the other, let's say Paul at this tournament was throwing Ezra Nukes. Then people are going to want to find Ezra Nukes because Paul won this tournament at a big bomber course throwing Ezra Nukes. So I, I totally get that. If, if Paul wins it, then it does kind of trickle down into the aspect of other team members kind of reap the benefits of Paul's success or Adam's success at tournaments and stuff like that. Not, not just speaking about Paul, but yeah, that makes sense. Like we're, but, all, we're all a fan of James Conrad's throwing at Worlds because the whole sport benefited from that like we all flourished made yeah. money golf. from team that shot and forever will it's it was just the most epic thing that could have happened yeah so team nah, disc golf I, I get that i've asked this question before too i mean look at nascar like they don't have multiple people keep bring, yeah no they people have keep actual... bringing up nascar and i and I, I don't know i really don't know anything about nascar except they drive around laps the whole time <laughs> i've never right. watched it. maybe we'll I, get off I, topic I but but I've asked the same question as you for years, Nick. Like, team, like, let's remove that. Uh, and yeah. quite frankly, it's nice not being sponsored. I'm over here cheering on every single person. Like, I don't care what team you're on, which it, anybody can do. But that's the point. It would feel like right now you'd be stepping over the line. It would kind of feel that way if maybe not, if you were cheering for other players besides people on Discraft. But maybe that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. But the thing is, the thing is, is that you could take away the team Discraft on my the back of my polo and just put Discraft and people would know that I am a sponsored Discraft yes. player. Okay. Yes. Even if Paul wins a tournament, even though we're not team Discraft anymore, I still get the benefits from it. So I, I get what Simon's saying, but at the same time, like why do we have to have that name team? Um, it is I remember annoying. when I first started playing it. I remember when I first started playing, I was like, okay, all I wanted, you know, I want to get sponsored and Dis Discraft has always been my favorite company. And I was like, I can't wait for the day that I can put Team Discraft on the back of my shirt. It's going to be an incredible day. And then it's funny because it has finally happened. I love being a part of Discraft. I guess now I'm just curious as my future in this sport grows, I'm just curious, like, why do we have that team aspect of it? I guess that this is interesting. More so, I guess that comes from more so being a podcaster now. It just makes me think of different <laughs> things than I wouldn't think. As a, dude, honestly, if I never, you know, if we had never started this podcast, I probably would never even, you know, care about this conversation. But now I'm like, okay, you know, right. I kind of get that. Why, why do we do that? But so anyways. I just went to Discraft's website 
And mm -hmm. I just wanted to see how they marketed and promoted it. And when you go to discraft.com uh, and then you scroll over on their bar there, it says team. It says team, mm -hmm. but then it specifically says team Discraft or next to that, the underground. So maybe you'd prefer yeah. to be on the underground, Nick, maybe. No. Oh, okay. Sorry. The team's fine. I, I loved, <laughs> I loved my time with the underground. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Absolutely loved it. I'd recommend it to anyone, but uh, no, I like being on the tour. All right. So anyways, I agree. That was a great conversation. There's so much to be had with that. As we wait for the pizza to deliver, let's get in another one here. Um, it could be extremely boring to some people, but I think it's kind of interesting. PDGA sanctioning now, as far as tier level goes. Long time ago, that used to be much more important, okay? Because that gave you an indicator of how much was going to go into an event and PDGA sanctioning it was like, okay, it's legitimate. Um, A tier, B tier, C tier. They even had restrictions in there. Things like, oh, if you run an A tier, what is it, 200 miles, 300 miles? You can't have another A tier within a certain range. B tiers, it drops down, but it's like 100 miles. And then C tier, it's like run them wherever you want. Have we gotten to a place where tournaments fill up in minutes or seconds, and then people are looking for an event where it doesn't matter if you have an A tier in this, the backyard? In Leicester, Massachusetts, should we be able to have an A tier at Marshall Street at Pyramids and an A tier at Maple Hill on the same day? Why, why is there a restriction still? Does anybody have insight into why there was a restriction? I think I know why, but why is there one? <laughs> Simon's handing off the mic. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? Like why in the long time ago, that's how it used to be. Remember, you'd have to go look to travel to an A tier and you couldn't find any close together on the same weekend. I grew up in Europe, so all right. we didn't even have A tiers where I grew up. Okay, so this is part of the conversation then. Does the tier of an event actually matter anymore or is it the history of the event meaning you know who's running it you know the quality you're getting or or does it actually matter because the pro tour did this mm -hmm. they they had elite series as a tiers didn't they yeah i mean it's always a big question what attracts a pro to your tournament and uh, people ask me that all the time i think every pro of course has their own little wish list and things that they um, need to show up at an event for some it's uh the payouts of course for me, it's totally not the payouts. That would be like the last reason I would ever go to a tournament. Um, for some, it's the course. For some, it's, uh, I guess, the city or the travel convenience. So the tier of the tournament itself has never mattered to me. I don't think it should matter. I think to the top players, it doesn't matter. For 90% um, of all other players, um, I think it it does matter a lot more because... Uh, Getting a, a B tier win or an A tier win does sound a lot different, actually. But to me, definitely no big difference. Oh, and there's difference in uh, PDGA points too for like player of the year, for instance. But right. also other like if you're using points to calculate anything, tier matters a lot. And I think it's PDG uh, A tiers are like like a two modifier, and Bs are like one and a half, and then Cs nothing, no, just a one. So if you're like Nick on Team Underground when you, when you were on Team Underground. Um, last year or the year before and you're calculating your points like you might want to say you had a lot of points this year uh yeah that just could have meant you placed okay so, tiers and beat so many people uh and not that you're actually winning events so for someone like nick at that point in his career maybe that would have mattered but for like and this is a large conversation there's touring pros and then there's like regional and all that who it matters to but hearing even how simon 
he's saying it doesn't really matter. It's the event. Like, what is the event? Um, and to make that point about like elite series now or the end, it's now it's being called the national tour and it's being run by the disc golf pro tour. Um, you don't care what, what tier that is because you're not even, in my opinion, it doesn't seem like people are now caring too much about like PDGA stuff. It's becoming disc golf pro tour stuff in that sense. I know it's all meshed together, but it's like, how do I rank in the disc golf pro tour? And that's the events they're going to play. Yeah. I don't know. And the other ones don't so, really matter towards it. I guess my opinion on it is um, kind of going back to the original question with the mileage uh, where you can run two events. I think we do need to kind of scratch that in the sense of our sport has grown so much that as long as tournaments are able to put up the money, the added cash that they have to, to run B tiers, A tiers and above, then I think, you know, if you can have two of those going on the same weekend at Maple Hill and Pyramids, why not be able to do that? If, you know, I, I don't, I don't find the issue in that. If someone was to tell me why that ever became a thing, then I guess I could understand it. Um, now, when it comes to the player aspect of choosing tournaments based on tiers, that is something that I do look into um, when I am scheduling out my next season or tournaments later on in the season, because if there is a B tier three hours away, I would rather play that than the C tier that's an hour away because when I, if, if I win a B tier, um, that helps me out sponsorship wise when it comes to potential bonus, when it comes to potential more discs in my allotment, anything like that. Um, so that's only beneficial to me. Um, right. But this is part of that conversation. So it matters for different yeah. people for different reasons. I get that. Okay. But in the end, I see people saying it's worth more points and I'm like, well, who do the points actually matter to? Like, well, I think the, the points matter to, um, if a manufacturer runs an algorithm, depending on the points of how you should be promoted within that, uh, sponsorship, I think that's definitely huge. Cause now you have a point system. If you're playing well at a tiers and B tiers, that's but why not use the that. ratings? <laughs> like, does it, I'm saying ratings. Why not use ratings? Because tier here's, and I'm, I'm facetiously saying ratings. Because tier doesn't necessarily mean there was better competition there. It can, and it might somewhat may mean that. But, like, you could show up and get lucky. And and I've heard Katrina Allen talk about this. She says, it's my little honey hole. Like, I know this one tournament where, like, nobody shows up and I can get paid really good. So, like, it's interesting. Well, that's also most, most A tiers that are being ran nowadays usually have a pretty stacked field. So uh, on the, I'm saying this on the MPO side, I have a pretty stacked field. So it's very rare that you'll ever go to an A tier now that has a pretty low caliber level of players. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather get second place at an A tier than win a C tier sometimes. And I'm not, I love winning. Um, but when it comes to the caliber of players that I'm playing against, like if I, if I have the chance to play against 5,000 rated players at an A tier and compete against them to try to win that tournament rather than a tournament that has four 930, 940 rated other MPO players, then like I'd rather go try to win the A tier. Cause if I win that, that's huge for me in my own personal career. And then it's, you know, right. usually a lot, a lot bigger of a paycheck. Like Simon said, he doesn't look at payouts for tournaments. That is something that I do look at how much added cash gets put into these events. Um, because it is something that I, that helps me out going onto my next event or signing up for another event is, is it worth the trip? Is it worth potentially getting a hotel room that night if I can win $500 at this event? You know what I mean? 
and A tiers are usually winning 900 bucks or more. All right. Them, so I want to round out this conversation. I'll let any other input that wants to come in from that conversation in the room here, anybody, but I want to round it out and say, I hear what you're saying, but if I ran an event next weekend, because I'm going to do it on my own privately, I don't have to sanction the PDG. I can do it. Now I can do it in my backyard course, like whatever. And I add $50,000 cash and I invite all the big names and there's no sanctioning to it. You're telling me that an A tier would be more valuable than that to you. All the pros show up and you beat them. Wait, what? Are <laughs> you just, saying all the pros show up? And it's not sanctioned. Pros? And it's not Dude, sanctioned. If you put up a non-sanctioned $50,000 tournament, I'd 100% go to yours over right. almost anything else in the world. And if I think, I, and here's you know my point I mean? though. Right. And I, I, was, I was being facetious when I said that. Yeah. But like your sponsor's going to see that too, right? And they're not going to be like, oh, it wasn't an A tier. Like it wasn't no bonuses for you or like no value. It doesn't get credited how we promote you. Like, I guess my point is yeah. that is where I would like to see the sport go. And now people are going to think I'm hating on the PDGA. I don't think no, the well, sanctioning, I, so, I don't think the sanctioning matters as much. I think, well, no, the I sanctioning think, matters as much. I don't think the tier matters as much. That's what I want to say. I, I wouldn't, so my first pro win was a non-sanctioned tournament at turning 54. So there was 54 players on the MPO side. You played three rounds in one day, 54 holes, and I won $540 from it. So, and like, I didn't care about rating. It was kind of nice. I didn't have to care about ratings that day because to be honest, I mean, they probably would have been all average. I remember it wasn't a great weather day. They would have been all decently rated rounds, but at the same time, I didn't have to worry about a rating. All I could do is just go out and compete and there was no live scoring. You just, you know, hey, how'd you shoot? Oh, I shot this. Oh, you're actually in first place right now. Great. Sounds good to me. So, I mean, like, I would, I, to be honest, I would play a ton of unsanctioned events if, you know, if I have some time from traveling next year and someone said, hey, there's two unsanctioned events going Saturday and Sunday this weekend, I'd 100% play those if the money was right in them. Um, if, if there's an unsanctioned event where there's $500 added cash into it, let's say it's a C tier. And then there's a sanctioned C tier that has $500 out of cash into it, depending on who's going to which I'd more than likely go to the C tier though, because it is more of a legitimate system right now. And that does like that comes up on my PDGA. It comes up as a win under my name. Um, I know. I know. I mean, and if, I, if people, I hear that, but I, I just feel like if there's a well-known tournament director and he decides to unsanction event, but like, you would choose a C tier over that. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's a great conversation. And Evan, you wanted to chime in. I'm going to change the perspective just real quick. Uh, We talked about Simon kind of being at the super elite level. Nick, you're at the pro level. There's also over 95% what of disc golfers or PDGA members who are not at that level. If I'm going to a tournament, honestly, I'd probably not want to go to an A tier because it's hundreds of dollars. It's three days usually, or three rounds over two days. Uh, that's not something where I want to commit a whole weekend to maybe once a year. Uh, but like a two rounds in one day sounds great. Or just like a two quick rounds in the, in the morning on a weekend, like and and paying $50 or under, like that sounds a lot more appealing to me. So mm. B and C tiers are more on my alley where a tiers. I'm just like, I, I, I don't really care to spend $150 at that event. Even at the players pack yeah. suite, like I don't need to do that. Interesting perspective. Interesting. I'll I, tell you this. Yeah. Wrap it up. Nick. I hate, I'll tell you this. I hate multiple day C tiers. I, I think it's so annoying. The, the one, I think I've played one or two of them this year. One of them was actually luckily only 45 minutes away from where I live. So that's not the end of the world. But if there's a C tier that's, I have to get a hotel room for at this point, I probably won't go to it unless 
Unless what, if that, the money what if there's added cash? What if it's paying more than a B tier? Well, that's also a two day event. That's a, well, so that's that's literally what I was just about to say. If so it's then something the tier doesn't where matter. It's like, so tier. <laughs> well, I mean, so why why wouldn't it be? I so I'm not a TD, so I don't know how tiering a tournament works. But if you have over seven hundred fifty dollars added cash, why would you not be a B tier? And I'm just curious on that. Well, why is the Battle for Bedford just a B tier? You're you're right there, right? Because they're, they're only a B tier, not an they, A tier. Because they haven't been running long enough to be an A tier, so but that's their so goal. it doesn't matter because they're giving out a ton of money. <laughs> oh, this, this oh, is like, yeah, yeah. like they're they're A tier A tier level of money. So then you go there because it's kind of an A tier, but it doesn't actually count as an A tier. But the money is an A tier, so it's worth it to you. He said yeah, yes. It just got cut off, Simon. Yeah, what do you, chime in on this and and close it out for us this conversation. It's really hard to say because I think, um, Evan. Yes, that's my name. God, sorry. It's <laughs> okay. What Evan said is is important because I think he speaks for the huge majority of casual disc golfers that want to have a fun competition style because playing casually um, is always not satisfying enough for a lot of people. They want to try to compete a bit and going to a freaking two or three day eight year, like I would probably be on your side more than on Nick's side right now. I think Nick is in this, in the smallest niche out of all the players because the money matters the most. Cause Nick will go to a tournament to try and make money. You wouldn't go to a turn or Evan, you wouldn't go to a tournament to try and make money. I don't go and play a B tier or a C tier to try and make money. I would go because I like competing. I want to play a fun course and I want to play with cool people that I don't usually pl play with, which would be kind of on your list probably as well. Yep. Um, I lost my train of thought. That but, is fantastic insight. But yeah, no, I totally get Nick's side and I think that's an important side. Like I think Casey White would fit exactly in there with Nick as I talk to Casey a lot and Casey, the first thing he looks at is what's the payout? How much added cash is there? Am I going to, is it worth it for me to go there? And when I'm touring, like I tour right now, probably the most expensive way you could tour, which is flying rental car and hotel, at least most of the times, or Airbnb sometimes. And I, 90% of the tournaments I go to are, I lose money. So uh, I don't know. The, the whole payout system for me has never really made sense. Unless you f finish in the top five every single tournament, um, or you live yeah. out of your van, which a lot of pros choose to do, which is just a different lifestyle than... The touring life is just you're going to lose money if you go on a trip and uh, have all, all these expenses and you don't finish in the top three. And that, so Nick, I'll, okay, all right. Because what, what Simon just said is an incredible point is there are a lot of tournaments that if you travel to the way that certain people like, and I'll use this for my own personal, from my own personal experience is take Worlds this year out in Utah. My mom had a bunch of airline miles. And so I was able, I was able to pay for one way of my ticket that was like 340 bucks in airline miles. And then I had to pay the other $340 out of my pocket. And then it turned into, okay, now I got to rent a car for, I was there for 12 days. And I think I rented a car for eight of those days. So now I have to pay for the rental car fee. Then I have to pay for the food that I'm eating every single week or every single day, you know, morning, lunch, dinner, whatever. I had to pay for practice rounds. I had to pay for gas. I lost money when I went to Worlds. No doubt. I spent more money than I made. I made $645 at Worlds, which might be my highest earned at an event right now. Yep, it is. And um, so <laughs> Stop, I, yeah, man, no so, confirms. 
Yeah. So I lost money when I went to Worlds. But guess what happened is the fact that I went, I played decently well. I got 43rd. That was huge for my bump from the underground team to the tour team of Discraft because I went to Worlds. Had I stayed back and played two C tiers and won them, I probably wouldn't have gotten bumped up onto Team Discraft. But because when I went to Worlds, I actually played pretty well with the majority of the best players in the world at two decently hard courses. So that because of that tier of that being a major, it was the world championships and I did well with it, you know, well to, to my level, not saying I, I lost my 30 strokes. I'm not saying I did super, super well at worlds, but I'm saying for my caliber of play, that was huge in my career to help me out for my future. Now my sponsorship jumped up to now there's more, um, I'm trying to think more opportunities in my future touring for the 2022 season. So tier tier for me right now definitely matters right. because it matters to my manufacturer sponsor. Right. And that's how ratings have been for a long time. And I want to say to Simon, your insight was fantastic to see that Nick and others are in this very niche part of the sport where we're on the other side, which like Evan and me, we're on the like the probably the popular majority. You're on the elite side, which is totally different, too. But you said, you know, you lose money. Ninety nine percent people are reacting to that. Like this is incredible something that came out of your mouth and i would like to say what you said earlier about um the idea like when eagle does good like the manufacturer your sponsor by does good so then turn you actually do well i think you showing up to an event is well for your brand so whether you actually lose money it's an investment exactly yeah i see traveling to pro tour events totally as an investment because joe mez i i get put on feature cards a lot which is huge for disc mania it's huge for me um, I get to interact with local fans, which I can gain new fans, which is huge for me, and Discmania, of course. And Jomez and other uh, media companies and Disc Golf run a lot of gigs around the tournament where I'm often a part of. So I'm totally not actually losing money. I just, If you look at the hard cash yes. earned in the tournament versus expenses of getting <laughs> there and living there for a week, right. um, then I would lose money, yeah. But it's, it's an investment, and I... I I love it, and I can't wait for next year to get to hit up a couple more tournaments. You can make more money than I, Nick again. No. Yeah, I think um, I think Steve Rico said this years ago. He had, like posted about it. Um, he was like, "Oh wow, my PDGA cash earnings just went above uh, two hundred thousand. And he's like, "I've probably spent four hundred thousand yeah. dollars mm-hmm. getting to that point. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and the sport's getting a lot better. Let's take this year for example. Like Missy Gannon made what sixty thousand dollars this year playing disc golf from tournaments that uh, tournament tournament winnings. She probably did not spend sixty thousand dollars traveling the way that she traveled this year. So she made money. It's the sport is finally getting to that point to where players are able to turn a profit. But like Simon was just saying, it is great for your brand. It's great for your company and everything like that to almost show face at these events. Right. And that was an awesome conversation. I appreciate everybody's input there. Um, We're getting close to wrapping this up. And I mean that two things before we wrap it up. One is, and this is a short conversation, I hope, I think it would be. So rangefinders are becoming popular. Okay. Everybody's using them. I feel like everybody's using them. Even the new players, it almost makes them feel like they're more official. I see a lot of new players using them. And I'm thinking... They can work if you know your distance and how you throw a disc. If I throw this this hard, I know how far it goes. It can work. Um, I see players at tournaments now regularly where I never saw them before, like in my life. I've been playing 15 years. Because advertising works. Yeah, advertising does work. 
perfect. That's a good idea. If you get the top players using them, yeah, every new player and their mom and dad. Or if anyone wants to pay me to wear a hat right now, 24-7, either white or black. Exactly. How how much money to switch Ooh, into yeah, my stat yeah, yeah. Mando hat? You know, I mean, we yeah, add like a dollar in my wallet. Dollar. Yeah. <laughs> so, but where I'm going with this is, and have you seen this? And if the person listening that was at this event is listening, there is literally no offense here. I thought it was a great topic, and I wanted to bring it up. I liked playing with you. I'm going to leave you nameless. I liked playing with you. It was a good time. But he pulled out a um a rangefinder on a putt, and it was pulled. <laughs> It was pulled out. <laughs> okay, what kind of putt? Like a hold on. Was it an eighteen or twenty-two feet? <laughs> That's funny. That's <laughs> now you guys are making me laugh, and I wasn't gonna laugh. But what it was, he pulled it out because he's like, "Hey, is this outside the circle?" And there was okay, actually I've seen people okay. Hold on. So there's little. What do they call them? The little. I'm having a brain freeze. The little tufts. Feathers. The little t- feather things. Whiskers. That's whiskers. Whiskers. That's yeah. a good one. There was little whiskers around, but they were separated by like 15 or 20 feet in between each of them. So it was like almost like a square around the basket. And I'm like, I know that it's like a circle, though. Like it actually rounds out. But where he was standing, he was doing almost like a line between them. He's like, no, I'm like, I'm outside. And I'm like, no, that's like you got to do the circle out. And he so he pulls out his rangefinder, like to prove it. And he pins it on the basket and he says 34 feet. And I'm like, no way. Like. Like, I've been playing a long time. I know I could mess this up. I'm sure it's kind of close, but not like that. So I walk it off, and I'm like, no, you're out like two or three feet. I've been doing this a long time. He goes, you, you can check on my rangefinder. And I'm giving him an attitude. It, he wasn't having an attitude. So I check on his rangefinder, and I'm like, 31 feet. And it's where you, like, shoot it on the pole. It, like, changed, like, drastically. I don't know if it's a reflection thing or whatever. So I'm like, dude, it says 31. Now it's kind of awkward. He's like, I got 34, you got 31. And I'm like, the tethers here, like we're walking it off. Just, this can be a short conversation. I'm making it long. It's the opinion of the group. Am I not wrong? Like, that's what is going to matter. It's the opinion of the group. Okay. Yes. Everyone agrees. I'll say just real, real quick. You played a B tier. I think at least A tiers and up could have uh, more accurate uh, circle markings. I think that's one of the most important things along if there's OB. Um for situations like that if you're at it like an a tier above like that should be really good maybe uh and b tier it's like maybe maybe you do but i would never use a rangefinder for whether it's 31 or 34 feet that's crazy but if he was like running like a 60 footer and he didn't know if it was like 50 or 70 feet like i could kind of see it i wouldn't do it myself but i'm not gonna hate on it and i want to really reiterate i'm not hating on what he did there and he didn't have an attitude and he was literally saying like, Hey, I want to see if I am. It was kind of before we were all getting into the conversation. And when he said 34 though, I was like, I just can't like, I can see it. And like, I just can't like, I'm not that big into like being a stickler with this, but like you're inside by a couple feet. And anyways, he's like, I'll just hit the putt. Unfortunately he didn't. And then everyone feels awkward. <laughs> it's like, did he jump putt though? No, he didn't because we all agreed it was inside the circle. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, and it feels awkward at that point too. It's like, dang it, like. Well, should we have a sixty foot circle? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's another that. conversation. Oh my yes. god, that's next week. I'm joking. I'm joking. Simon just Simon, said yes. Did you go sixty feet? Yes. I. Ooh, okay. I, can we save now, that though? Can we save that for like yeah, next can, week? Okay, I got a great topic. Although on that, Simon so. can give his opinion can we, on that, but that's a great yeah, topic. Yeah, can we can we can we all give thirty seconds on it? All right, go ahead, Simon. What like I, I like thirty it. seconds. I like it. Yeah. Well, I have a very biased opinion on this because I keep playing with James Conrad and Kevin Jones and Chris Dickerson. And it's so annoying 
that they're literally better from further away. And I think that's just backwards. That's not how a sport should be, that you're better from a worse shot um, just because that rule changes at 30 feet. I don't know. Um, De- Devil's advocate. I'm jumping in. I'll give you the more time, though. Okay. How come you're not better from further away? Because I don't jump putt. But but could you? No, Is it unfair? Matt, totally, totally valid point. Um, it's not unfair. <laughs> I, I, I knew I'm Matt just annoyed would say by it. Too. I knew it. I'm just so annoyed by it, and they're so freaking good, and they just make those 35-footers every time. And uh, I don't I don't have a good point. I'm just saying I'm annoyed by it. That's why it should change. <laughs> and to be I, clear, uh, I actually I, like the idea, too. I really do. I just couldn't resist it. Go ahead, Nick. I call going next. Um, so I will say I was actually talking with Brody about it lately because uh, him and I played a couple practice rounds before a tournament, a local one that we had here, and he's been working on a step putt. And it's literally like it almost seems like by the time he fully steps forward, he made that 35 footer almost like a 32, 31, 30 footer. I mean, he's doing it legally, but the way you're extending so far forward, it's you're taking a shorter putt because of the way a step putt works a jump putt just generates a little bit more power personally um but i (laughs) it's it's weird it's it's weird because i i wish it would actually extend 60 feet i think is a lot um but i would do like 40 or 50 feet um and then at that point you know what might as well just go to 60 feet so i if if someone was to tell me hey you are not allowed to jump putt inside of 60 feet i would not cry about it I, I think it would actually be pretty cool. And I think scores would be worse for one, for a majority of players. And yeah, that's my 30 seconds. Yeah, I was going to say that's a good 30. Can seconds. I have one more quick one? Yeah, yeah. I took some 10 time. second point. Right, I think get, this get, is actually get, a good point. You get 15. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of jump putts, the problem with jump putts is that it's a gray area. A lot of the times with the rules, and we can't tell just by eye, oh, was this legal? Was this not? And I've heard a lot of discussions about it. I've rewatched uh, videos in slow motion where, oh, that was actually a footfall and that wasn't. Um, and I think a sport should thr- thrive, strive, thrive. thrive, thrive towards. Oh, no, strive, sorry. Strive towards eliminating <laughs> as many gray areas as possible. I, I feel very passionate about that, and I think it would make disc golf a better sport with less gray areas, which jump putting is. But if it's further away, like outside 60 feet, then it's less significant, which would be better. I think, Simon, those are honestly, those were fantastic points you made tonight because I... I like that point a lot better than, well, someone's better than that. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I really like that because I think we should eliminate any possibility of those gray areas. I also, this is another conversation for another time, like players having to be the ones to manage it. All of that stuff, you get rid of it, the sport starts to become a lot more, I, I shouldn't use the word legit, but that kind of a thing. So, All right, you ready for my grand idea? Okay. Get rid of all circles. I, I'm not a huge golf fan. I'm not trying to say we should copy golf, but I see uh, a, whatever shape you want green being the best option. Maple Hill hole 18, for instance, there's a circle there. There's like three and a half feet. That's not the circle after you make the island. No, the whole island should just be the circle. You have to have <coughs> circle one. We had this conversation. Like that should, Do we have it on air? That should, no, no, I'm saying like, person. That should be that should be the green. Yeah, like whether so, you have a 15 foot green or a 55 foot green, exactly. it shouldn't matter. You and, are in green and regulation. You made a putt inside of the green. And Why I do think we have circles? There should like, be some rules because yeah. um, I feel like some, uh, some elite rules. course designers are going to be like, oh, yeah, the green's like 97 feet. Um, I think it maybe it's a max of 
of 20 meters, 66 feet ish. Um, maybe, but it doesn't have to be a circle either. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a circle. So like I see, uh, different holes. I'm trying to think of good examples, but like, let's say, um, well, actually the castle hole at Maple Hill, the, the short side, the circle might only, or circle, the green might only be like 25 feet because it's uphill. You got the wall. It's a, it's a tough putt and the backside, you know, you're, you're running a tough putt. That might be a smaller green. But if it's just a wide open hole uh, and there's not really anything around it, then you might have like a 50 foot green. So I, it's different holes. And I think you might have like trees on one side and because the trees are tougher, you might want to allow step putting, you know, 30, 30 feet from the tee on the left side. But if it's wide open on the right side, you might extend it out to 50. So that's where I mean, it might not be a circle. It might just be. Yes. Awkward. As, as long as that rule isn't abused by like making a star shaped <laughs> green point. around the basket, yeah. <laughs> I, I want it to be like uh, aesthetically well, good, not just well, like a cheesy like a star. Like if you land like here, yeah. you can jump. Yeah. If you land here, you're right next to it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like Wait. a little island that you can jump. And to be from. fair, I said we had this conversation. We had this conversation last year, and I forget with who. I think it was with Brody. Actually, we had him on the show, and then we started talking about how to make the game harder, and people are saying lotion your hands and all that kind of stuff. It was gonna, it was really funny. Um, so I think the pizza just arrived. I actually sent Josh. I said, you want to go get it? Cause they just keep calling me over and over and I'm recording a podcast. Uh, so we're going to end the show here in just a second. I want to say thank you to capital discs open, um, in New York for inviting me out there and Nick out there. Nick wasn't able to make it. Um, but they had signs out, Nick, all official, just like the pro tour has Nick and Matt show. People kept saying, oh, they love it or they're going to check it out. I got some interviews for Judge That Disc Golfer from Capital Disc Open. Heck yeah. That was a nice. CTP prize for somebody. It was almost more like a punishment. Wow. Like, it was like, you just won an interview for Judge That Disc Golfer. They come up with their head down. Yeah. <laughs> so um, That's funny. It was awesome. I really appreciate it. Shout out to Jeremy Whitaker out there and his whole crew. Mm -hmm. Jeff Wachowski mm -hmm. in the chat all night. He was a part of that. Um, it was a fantastic event. It's well worth it. Check out Capital Disc Open next year. I heard big things are coming. Um, Nick, I think we made it to that point in the show. Um, anybody else have anything have. you want to say before we get Nick to close out? I just want to quickly, real quickly say, I uh, agree with Matt capital to open. I was supposed to be there. Apologies from my side. We got unlucky with a cold, um, with me and Natalia at the wrong time. So I had to stay home and take care. But, uh, I played the skins on Friday, which was awesome. We played for a hundred bucks a hole. Super fun. It was film. It's going to be on YouTube soon. And uh, yeah, Jeremy, thanks for trying your your best to get me out there. And sorry I couldn't make it happen, but yeah, it's definitely on the list. Yeah, unfortunately, I I also got invited to the event, and I was actually really bummed because Jeremy and I talked a ton about it at MVP Open. Um, fortunately, had some stuff going on around here. Well, One of the things that I did is go ahead. I got wine and dine because you didn't show up and Simon didn't show up. Oh. Had to go somewhere, baby. I got all this awesome oh. goodies and food and dinners and hotels. Oh, that's, a beautiful that's awesome. thing. I was actually invited <laughs> too, and well. it just didn't work out for me either. So <laughs> this is horrible. I'm like half joking about that. Evan's like, I was like, invited too. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, it's true. Evan it was, like, was invited. Yeah, I mean, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. Nick, yeah. we made it to that point. Sorry you're not here we to made, enjoy some pizza. Nah, you're right. I I quickly just wanted to shout out to uh Artie sparks ryan sparks he invited me to go be one of the four pros at the military games that they ran at lake marshall down in virginia they raised a ton of money for the paul mcbeth charity and then also some other military charities um gatekeeper media will have a youtube video of our doubles match that a bunch of us played super super fun but anyways to uh, everyone listening tonight thank you for tuning in live we really really appreciate it go ahead leave a like leave a comment hit the thumbs up button so you know exactly when we're going live uh subscribe to the foundation podcast youtube channel also, don't forget to check out Overthrow Disc Golf. 
Check out statmando.com and check out all your head-to-head scores with people uh, for the pros. And then also Simon Lazat's YouTube channel. Don't forget to go like, subscribe to his stuff. Um, for people listening post-podcast, post uh, go ahead, leave a review on any of the platforms that you're listening on. Uh, tell someone you love them this week. And we'll catch you in the next one. Nick, you're awesome. Simon, you're awesome. Appreciate it. Josh, Evan, and D- Mike. Mike, <laughs> the camera guy. guy. We're, we're going out. See you later. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.